You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Slapshot, which came out in 1977 and was directed by George Roy Hill. I'm placing a personal bounty on the head of Tim McCracken. You can't put a bounty on a man's head! I just did. Go get him, killer! It's wild. It's outrageous. It's outrageously funny. Paul Newman, Coach Reggie Dunlop in this supercharged world of hockey, invites you to meet the crazies who make it that way. The Players, Murderer's Row, The Wives, The Fans, The Managers. We're losing! Teamwork, guys, more team. They're burying us alive! And hustling them all, Paul Newman. There's never been a film like Slapshot. There may never be another. It stars Paul Newman, Struther Martin, Michael Ankian, Jennifer Warren, Lindsey Krauss, M. Emmett Walsh, Jeff Carlson, Steve Carlson, and David Hansen. The genre would be hockey comedy. To think that this was my introduction to the late, great Paul Newman, one of our most enduring movie stars and definitely among the top five coolest men ever to grace the silver screen. I've only seen a relatively small portion of his filmography. But possibly with the exception of Blaze, which came out more than a decade later, I don't think Paul Newman was ever this gleefully vulgar. And as someone who grew up watching the basic cable version of this film, I have a hard time remembering the whole film being this vulgar. It's kind of a similar situation to growing up watching the cable version of Saturday Night Fever, only to one day discover, well into adulthood, the actual original hard R-rated version of that movie. You know, the racist, rapey Tony cut. Fortunately, Newman's protagonist doesn't take quite as dark of a turn, even when going full-on R-rated with Slapshot. Remember, uh, I went up to your room afterwards and you were dressed in chick's clothes? Yeah, you had on this flat bra with tassels. You were dancing in front of a mirror with this kind of zebra-skin jockstrap. Remember how, uh, how I screamed at you when you started coming on to me? And I just said, Jesus, stop it, Joe. I'm ashamed of you. Damn you. I wanted to tell you that I forgot the whole thing. Years have passed, now I'm sexually liberated. Newman plays Reggie Dunlop, an over-the-hill hockey player-slash-coach toiling in the minor leagues who basically spends most of this film's two-hour runtime stirring shit up for everyone around him. Maybe it's to save his town, his marriage, his team, his career, his self-respect. Who knows? We're never quite sure, but we can't help rooting for him because... Newman. His team is the lowly Charleston Chiefs but the town they are located in is in deep trouble. The local mill is closing down, and the equation from Reggie's standpoint is quite simple. No mill means higher unemployment, means fewer folks buying hockey tickets, which means, yep, eventually no team and no job for Reggie. So as a result, we see Reggie eventually throw everything he can at the wall to see what sticks, 
all geared towards basically drawing more folks to come see the Chiefs play. But as alluded to earlier, we can never really quite be sure what Reggie is trying to accomplish, as he seems to have no real plan. And we see him take some extreme measures, no less, including an attempt to spread rumors that the team might be for sale and moving to Florida. Fortunately, there is at least one development which goes his way, and that is the arrival of the Hanson brothers. Besides Newman and the catchy theme song, which we'll get to later, the aspect of this movie that probably most folks still remember are those Hansons. Three tall, jolly, bespectacled goofballs who seem to love only three things. Soda, toy cars, and beating the shit out of anyone from the opposing team on the ice. They're goons in the simplest sense, but they're endearingly friendly when they're not checking someone into the glass. You can't help but like these guys for the tall, lanky doofuses that each of them are. Yep, you take Kramer from Seinfeld with a Minnesota accent and glasses times three, those are the Hanson brothers. You guys are Hansons. Fucking machine took my quarter. Who are you? Reggie Dunlop, the coach. Grab your freaking gear and let's get going. Okay. Come on, Steve. Let's go. Took my quarter. You think they show speed racer here? I don't know. Hey, guys. Hey. Wait up. Hold up. Good idea. I got a good deal on those boys. The scout said they showed a lot of promise. They brought their fucking toys with them. I'd rather have them playing with their toys than playing with themselves. They're too dumb to play with themselves. And their on-ice antics proved to be quite useful, not only towards drawing bigger crowds to the Chiefs, but even helping them start to win. All leading to a climactic finals championship, which really isn't that climactic as it turns out. There's honestly not that much to this story. It's more of a lark built around a wacky cast of characters and some well-staged hockey action. Nothing more. Does it need to be two hours long? Well, probably not. And that would likely be my biggest criticism of this movie. It's just a bit too overstuffed and overlong for what is generally a shapeless comedy. Of course, that doesn't mean there's not fun to be had. Besides Newman and the Hansons, this cast is quite loaded with top-flight character actors, including Struther Martin, who plays the team's notoriously cheap owner. Apparently, he and Newman went way back as they were in several films together, including Cool Hand Luke where it is actually Struther Martin himself who delivers the now legendary line. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Well, he's great in this too, as is one of my personal favorite all-time character actors, and someone who is still with us, no less, M. Emmett Walsh. But we'll get to him a bit later. And of course, we can't forget to mention that the hockey and the fights look pretty convincing and exciting. Director George Roy Hill was kind of ahead of the curve with how well he filmed all of the on-ice action inside the rink. It also helped that you had several accomplished pro and amateur players among the cast, including the Hanson brothers. What is uh, slashing? Slashing is um, like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, there's a penalty for that? Yeah. Uh, and for a trip also, you know, oh. like that. And mm-hmm. for hook, like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, for spear, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. All bad. Bad. You do that, you go to the box, you know, uh, two minutes by yourself, and you feel shame, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you get free. Now, has all of the humor aged well? Well, let's just say that Slapshot has similar sensibilities to Animal House. But at least everyone on screen is of consenting age. So there's that. 
So overall, though, it has not aged remotely well, but the whole thing just has an anarchic spirit which carries it through to a pitch-perfect ending. The ending features Michael Ankian's Ned, in a mostly thankless role, but he plays the stick in the mud well enough. He's one of the players on the team, and he wraps up all the on-ice insanity by committing a very fitting act of absurdity that puts a nice little cherry on top of all the chaos which preceded it. If you haven't seen this movie, I don't want to spoil it. But honestly, without that ending, this film does not work nearly as well. But it's just another demonstration of how important it is to finish strong, both in sports and movies. And now the categories. The first category is the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. This category is a slam dunk, or sorry, actually a slap shot, thanks to a glorious contribution to the soundtrack from British R&B singer Maxine Nightingale. The song is right back where we started from, and we actually hear it at least three times throughout the movie. Once during an early bar sequence, later on while the team is on the road being followed by their enthusiastic traveling group of boosters, and finally during the end credits. It was actually released as Ms. Nightingale's highest charting single back in 1976 from her debut album of the same name. The song was a pretty big hit at the time, charting in the top 10 in both the UK and the US, and it's easy to see why. It's got a great fast-paced hook, aided by a large rhythm section, including two bass guitarists, horns, and even some strings which you hear during the bridge of the song. You think you're actually hearing clapping as part of the background sound, but it's actually just lively percussion. But, of course, it makes you want to clap. Nightingale's high-pitched vocals just nail the sweet, reassuring tone of this song, coinciding with some very sweet lyrics. Now, does it completely match up tonally with the generally mean-spirited, raucous vibe of this movie? Well, probably not. But no matter, as this song is just pure joy. It always puts a smile on my face. And last I checked, most comedies are still supposed to elicit smiles. Beyond that, this song has become so iconic and commonly associated with ice hockey that decades later, several professional hockey teams have begun to use it as a celebratory song to play on the PA whenever their team scores a goal or wins the game. Most famously, the New York Islanders, who now play it after every home win. Just a true banger of a song, and in my opinion, one of the best needle drops of the 1970s. And that brings us to the next category, Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now back to M. Emmett Walsh, who plays Dickie Dunn, the local sports beat reporter who inadvertently helps Reggie spread his rumor about the team possibly being sold and moved to Florida. With a two-hour runtime, he needs to be in this movie more. Because seriously, dude is a legend, plain and simple. I'll give you $10,000. Yeah, I'm forced to do a murder. I'm too murder. Trust you not to go simple on me and do something stupid. 
I mean, really stupid. Now, why should I trust you? M. Emmett Walsh has been in more than 200 movies. No joke. Just an incredible filmography now spanning six decades, including Midnight Cowboy, The Gambler, Serpico, Blade Runner, Blood Simple, The Mighty Quinn, Romeo and Juliet, the 90s version, A Time to Kill, and Knives Out probably being his most recent feature. Even when he is in truly bad movies, like Wild Wild West or Christmas with the Cranks, he is still always fun to watch, always with a distinctive character, often with some weird variation of his baritone Southern by way of New York accent. He's good at being menacing, endearing, funny. You have a two-hour hockey comedy here, and he's in what? Two scenes as the local hockey reporter? Come on now. You can never have enough M. Emmett Walsh, plain and simple. Arnold Babar. Isn't there a children's book about an elephant named Babar? I don't know. I don't have any. No children? No elephant books. No, it's an odd name. The next category is the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Roughly just under an hour into this hockey opus, we finally see the on-ice debut of the Hanson brothers, after several of the Chiefs have suffered unfortunate injuries, resulting in the need to send out a new line of forwards. Bear in mind that up until this point, nobody, including the audience, is remotely aware of the types of players that these guys are. But we soon find out. To the delight of Reggie and, of course, the crowd, which goes nuts, what results are several minutes of admittedly violent slapstick. Opposing skaters are being tripped up from behind, smashed into the glass, and even the refs are feeling it as the Hansons are gleefully sideswiping them. This sequence is a blast, and special props to seasoned cinematographer Victor Kemper, whose camera is genuinely there right on the ice, moving right alongside the action. And of course, the acid tone of the sequence is perfectly set up with one sarcastic line from Ned in the locker room. As part of an effort to rev up his team, Reggie loudly asks as to whom will be taking the place of the injured player on the ice. And Ned's deadpan response is, is the answer Jesus? Okay, but Dave's out. Who's going to take his place? Is the answer Jesus? Okay, guys. Show us what you got. And now the final category, which is the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Newman. He was 52 when this movie came out, and damn if he doesn't look pretty sharp on and off the ice. Seriously, though, Paul Newman is sporting clothes throughout this movie, which most actors, and I don't care how good looking they are, just could not pull off. At one point, he's strutting around outside in what looks like an orange leather jacket with fur sleeves and collar over green tinted plaid pants, and the dude just pulls it off. While others certainly contribute a great deal to the action and humor of this film, it's still Paul Newman who truly carries this film in a manner that only the best movie stars can. His timing and breezy swagger just helps make all of the vulgarity featured in the story much more palatable. You know, we ain't yeah. hockey players. We've been clowns. We've been goons. We've been freaks on a fucking sideshow. What a bunch of criminals. We ought to be in jail. That's all there is to it. Now, was this peak Newman? Not in the slightest. And this is coming from someone who has barely even seen a third of his filmography. If that. 
He had absolute banger performances going back decades in Cool Hand Luke, The Hustler, The Verdict, The Color of Money, Nobody's Fool, and probably his last great performance before he passed away in 2008, six years before that, Road to Perdition. Hell, if I'm being honest, I highly doubt that this was even his best collaboration with George Roy Hill as his director. That would likely be Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which came out eight years earlier. Great movie, and I hope to review it. But at the end of the day, he delivers a funny, engaging star turn in what would end up being one of the most influential sports movies of the past several decades. Paul Newman is the MVP. Well, I'm not playing my last game that way. Last game? Yeah, it's my last game, and I want to play it straight. No more nail him, no more fuck with him, that's finished. I want to win that championship tonight, but I want to win it clean. Old-time hockey. Like when I got started, you know? Jeez, Toe Blake, Dick Clapper, Eddie Shore, those guys were the greats. I don't know what to say. Bryce, it's up to you. Well, Reg is our coach. Yeah, sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. Yeah, yeah. My rating for Slapshot is three and a half stars out of five. No joke, Slapshot was one of the earliest examples of the, quote, underdog slobs sports comedies, coming out right on the heels of the Bad News Bears, which I think came out the year before. You definitely see the DNA of this movie in several future sports films, including Bull Durham, Major League, The Mighty Ducks, Dodgeball, and Caddyshack. And if you're looking to watch Slapshot, it's currently streaming on Peacock TV. And that ends another old-time hockey review, Eddie Shore. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.